The following is a presentation of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Matt side. For generations, college wrestling and professional wrestling have shared more than just a name. From Danny Hodge to Kurt Angle to current performers like Brock Lesnar, Nathan Everhart, or Nick Nemeth, many former college stars have made the transition into professional wrestling. Recently, former Appalachian State wrestler Denzel DeJournet signed on to the WWE's Performance Center, while ESPN chronicled the company's recruitment of former Duke wrestler Jacob Casper. Despite the pipeline, some in the college wrestling world who do not follow the pro version might be unfamiliar with the transition in the training. So to help us understand, today I'm going to chat with Wrestling Observer Live host Mike Sempervivi. Mike, how are you today? I'm doing great. How about you? Uh, you know, can't complain. It's very hot here in Washington, D.C., but uh, hopefully that'll end soon. Oh, see, why didn't you just make the trip down to the beach with everybody else that has now invaded the beach to make the incredibly incredibly humid uh bay even worse <laughs> right it doesn't have to be just hot and uncomfortable it has to be crowded as well oh absolutely yeah because i'm right on the maryland delaware line here in fenwick island so we're the the perfect landing spot for everybody looking to get that one last getaway uh, away from the metro before school and everything else starts back up again i don't know why i didn't think of that but uh no, i'll be here in the city this week so <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, if you just want to jump in and get started, um, I've been reading a lot about this. Not really a huge follower of pro wrestling, but I know a little bit about it. It seems like the way the WWE does it is they have uh, Gerald Briscoe basically act as a scout, and then he recruits basically wrestlers and athletes from other sports, and then they bring them into a training center or performance center. Uh, if, do I have that right, or what's just the general like big picture look about how they look for talent? Yeah, I mean, for the for what we're talking about, that's pretty much it. Gerald Briscoe is the point person. Now, certainly there's guys who go out onto the indie scene and, and watch events and, and go back to their alma maters who may see somebody and, and pass word along or something like that. But when it comes to, quote-unquote, the real athlete, the football player, the track and field person, the, the mixed martial artist, the wrestler, that's where Gerald Briscoe comes in incredibly handy and has for quite some time. And his eye for talent and his eye to see exactly what would make someone special in WWE and make someone special in the eyes of Vince McMahon is one of the reasons that he has lasted there for so long. He, alongside Pat Patterson, have really you know always had their finger kind of on the pulse of what would be you know good good clientele and and, and good product and good people for to, to have around WWE and they alongside Jim Ross and Dr. Tom Pritchard and, and Les Thatcher and many others from over the years did a, a really good job, you know, maintaining and, and finding a lot of talent. Okay, so they they spot the talent and then they decide who they want to sign and bring in. Uh from there, I think we mentioned they have a performance center. What is that like, you know, first coming in and then on a day to day? Because they don't just throw them in the ring right away, I assume. No, I mean, it depends on what their curve is. And, and, you know, there's so many rings inside that place. It's a massive facility. I mean, it's nearly 30,000 square feet. And they it has everything that you could possibly think of 
it was a state-of-the-art center. Uh, some people, you know, say it's better than what the USC has out in Las Vegas, uh, from Olympic-style lifting down to the, the actual rings, what they're there for. And there's like seven or eight rings, and maybe more than that, Lance Storm just went down and served as a guest trainer for uh, a, a week uh, and, and talked about his experiences there and, and just how big the facility is. And depending on where you come from, you know, th that's where they're going to work with you. But when you're there, you're kind of working on everything. Uh, Seth Petrozelli uh, from UFC fame and, and knocking out <laughs> Kimbo Slice fame uh, was, was, was in the facility. Uh, and, and serves as a trainer to work on, on people's stand-up. There's uh, Robbie Brookside is there who made his career in the U.K. and, and teaches people about that type of style. And Sarah Del Rey, who came up in ROH and, and was you know integral in, in Shimmer success, helping to trade some of the women that, that have come along. It's just a it's a massive amount of, of people and time and and and, and work that was put into that place where no there's nothing that's not covered. Now that can be sometimes maybe too big is is too much sometimes and people get lost in the mix. And I'm sure we're going to talk about some people like that you know during this show. I mean you know one of the most notable recently is Clayton Jack you know who you know you look at all the you know how could somebody fail in a in a place like WWE with all those resources well he was one of the ones that did for whatever reason that it happened but as far as the facilities go anything that you could possibly think of from nutrition to weights to to rings to places where you can work on your promos and interviews there is nothing that's not covered by that facility it really is an, an amazing state-of-the-art place. Yeah, you mentioned Clayton Jack. It seemed like a big part of his struggle was injuries. And I think that from a transition from college wrestler to this, I mean, it is a full-time year-round job. And, you know, some guys coming out of college wrestling are already pretty beat up. So do you think that there's a shorter shelf life maybe for some of these guys who've had, like, lifelong careers of wrestling going into basically performing, you know, once or twice a week year-round? Necessarily, not necessarily. Uh, you know, I think football players have it worse in, in that scenario, and, and tend to even go in there at, at later ages than, than some of the guys on, in the wrestling scene do. Um, some of the stigma has dropped away from getting involved in, in pro wrestling out of the amateur ring, so at least a, a little more than what was there maybe 25, 30 years ago. So you see guys, I think, you know, trying it, and you see the ones that maybe come along a little bit later only doing so because maybe they dabbled in MMA before they had gotten there. But I think damage to the body, you know, somebody that has come up cross-training doing MMA, you know, just as much, if not more, than they wrestled, I think they're the ones who may be at a disadvantage later on. But football players tend to be the ones that, you know, seemingly have issues. Although one of the things when it comes to the performance center, one of the things that, that, that hurt Jack was he tore his rotator cuff. And there seem to be a lot of those happening in WWE down at the Performance Center for whatever reason. And a lot of people have said it's the Olympic-style weightlifting that they do and the amount of weightlifting that they do that has caused some of those problems. And, you know, I guess who's to say, uh, but with so many happening to guys like Cesaro and so many notable people who have had that issue, 
it, it does make you wonder if one's got to do with the other. And that's also where there's a little bit of, you know, if there's going to be critical thinking about the performance center. That's where some of the issue is, too, of, you know, this is pro wrestling, and it's great to be a great athlete. It's great to be in shape. It's great to be able to, to be physically fit, but that's not the end all and be all of the game. You know, having the ability to talk, you know, having the ability to connect with your fans. I mean, that's far more important than being able to, you know, bench a certain amount of weight for time or put up a certain amount of weight for just to impress the other people that are around you. Yeah, you mentioned the talking. I wanted to read an excerpt from the ESPN article that Casey Joyner did on Jacob Casper that I mentioned in the intro. So let me uh, just read a paragraph here and get your reaction here. So there were a lot of different skills and indicators that Briscoe was looking for. Microphone skill, for example, skills are typically the largest stumbling block for any amateur wrestler pursuing a chance at WWE stardom. They can be especially hard to gauge because, as Jacob's father, Brad Casper, put it, amateur wrestlers are like gladiators. They don't talk a lot, and no one wants to be the bad guy. Gladiator or not, Casper wasn't afraid of being perceived as the bad guy in the lead-up to the 2017 Wrestling Championship semifinal match against Kyle Snyder, the youngest American Olympic wrestling gold medalist in history. Casper called out Snyder by saying he wanted to punch him in the mouth in a competitive sense, and that alone made Casper take the heel role in the amateur wrestling community. I wanted to touch on this because I think as someone who's followed MMA before, uh, not recently, but extensively for the years, I find it interesting that the talking and personality sometimes doesn't transfer. You know, we've seen when guys like Rampage or King Mo have gone to wrestling, it it hasn't really translated. And then even with someone like CM Punk, when he's been in the UFC, he hasn't really been able to get his personality across the way he did when he was a wrestler. And so I think I was just wondering, wanted to get your thoughts on, is there a transfer in how people are able to express their personality? And if not, like, what is the key to that? I, I don't know. It's just, it's got to be inside you. You know, you look at what Ed Roos, you know, was like at Penn State, you know, coloring half of his head. You know, if he, for the, you know, St. Patrick's Day during the, the finals, wasn't he, didn't he do it green and white or something like that? I mean, he, you know, and. That's translated into his his MMA and into that to that type of training. So, and I would assume if you sit him, in, you know, in, in front of performance center, that that same thing would come out of him. And I think it's just a matter of being, I guess, being comfortable in your skin. You know, CM Punk certainly didn't seem comfortable as a fighter, and I think that's the thing that that really hurt him. So he was almost a, a, a different person or turned into a different person. Rampage, kind of the same way. You know, being able to, to play that character and be that guy in MMA and kind of having that swagger there as opposed to where, you know, the influence of it where it came from in the pro wrestling arena, it just, you know, maybe he just he feels like a different person. I, I, I don't know. You know, there's been so many guys who, you know, Kurt Angle, though, you know, was able to find it. And I think, you know, for as much naturally as it's got to be inside of you, Sometimes it just takes some time to extract out because, you know, a perfect a perfect example of what that article talked about was Kurt Angle. I mean, winning the Olympics with the, the broken neck and, and all of the things that he was, the the milk drinking, you know, I mean, you couldn't think of a more all-American person than Kurt Angle. You know, that, that big smiling face and, and, and the story and, and all that stuff. And when he came in, he was booed. He was uncomfortable. 
it just something wasn't right. And so Vince said, we're going to continue to push this three eyes thing, the intensity, the integrity, the intelligence, and we're going to shove it down their throat. And if they respond poorly to it, we're going to keep shoving it down there because sooner or later, <laughs> you know, you'll, we'll get something out of this and you're going to be my biggest bad guy. And that's pretty much what happened. And, and he just got comfortable with the role. So, you know, obviously that person was inside for an angle. It just took some time for it to come out. And they give guys, depending on who they are, more time than others. Brock Lesnar has never been exactly a dynamic personality and hasn't necessarily even been that great of a fan of pro wrestling, but because of who he is, what he looks like, and his aura that's around him, they've given him far more chances than they have maybe a guy like a, a Chad Gable or, or some of the other people maybe that they've had in the past where they seem to be more fit for pro wrestling. They seem to want it more. They seem to, to be able to be feel more natural as a wrestler, but they don't get those opportunities. And that can be really frustrating because, you know, Gable, you know, I watch him and I sit there and he just flounders on Raw right now doing nothing. And I'm not sure exactly what the plan is going to be for him, but there was a lot of hullabaloo beside, you know, when, when they signed him. And I know his size is an issue, but he's also the type of guy with his personality, just naturally how he is, where if you let him go out there and be a bad guy, you know, there's a great example of a guy who, you know, a good guy on the mat who's a perfect natural heel if they let him be on the pro wrestling side of things. If they would just let him go out there and give it a shot, I think his size could work to his advantage. And, and it's it's frustrating to, to, to see that happen. Yeah, it's, it seems like in some sense there's almost a pushback against guys <clears throat> who have a realistic background in the sense that, like, I think there are fans who are drawn in by a guy like Chad Gable who went to the Olympics as Chaz Betts. You know, people say, oh, this is an Olympic wrestler. This is someone who I might not be a huge follower of pro wrestling, but I follow, you know, sports. I want to see how a guy who's a, an athlete in a real sport or, you know, on predetermined sport competes. And uh, I think that they try to take that away from some people, and it doesn't really make a lot of sense. No, I mean, well, they look, they did with the names. I mean, look at the, the stupid name. They, I mean, Clayton Jack's a great name. And Clayton, I know, look, you take out the separate part that they want to own and everything. But still, you know, they, they called him Cal Bishop. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I thought that was kind of a whack name. I mean, it, sometimes it works out. Jack Swagger was a cool name. You know, it's a lot cooler than Jake Hager. You know, but, but Chad Gable, I mean, yeah, it pays, I guess it pays homage to, to Dan Gable, and it, it, or I guess that that's what the, 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 the reasoning was behind it, but, you know, why bother changing his name? He went to the Olympics. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it, it's cool. You know, I can see how Nathan Everhart maybe wasn't, like, you know, the coolest name in the world, so maybe that's why he became Jason Jordan, but, like, you know, to me, if you hit a certain level and you make a, you know, a certain placement for yourself, no matter what it is, why does well go with the real name, you know, and play off of the, the, the realness of who that person was? I mean, Danny Hodge, Vern Gagne, uh, Mad Dog Bashan, Jack Briscoe, Bill Miller, Bill Watts, you know, the Briscoe brothers, they, all these guys. I mean, their their real names were fine, <laughs> you know. The Steiners, you know, it's the shortened version of the name, but like, you know, it, it they were all wrestlers and they all had real sporting backgrounds and they all were able to utilize that and make it part of their character. 
why WWE will sign people. And it's not just amateur wrestlers. It's lots of different people. But why they sign people who are good at one thing and they sign them because they like what they see, why they want to go and turn around and change that, I don't know. But it's not something that's, you know, just stuck on, on the amateur wrestling community. They do that with lots of different people coming from lots of different aspects of life. You mentioned guys coming from all different kinds and, and gals coming from all different kinds of backgrounds. One of the criticisms I saw that came up over and over again when I was researching this was it seems people say that a lot of the talent that they develop at the Performance Center are actually just guys who have developed themselves independently and then joined the company, whereas they've somewhat struggled with you know, converting athletes from other sports. Do you think that's a fair criticism? It, it is. It, it, it is. Rusev is a WWE creation, and for as much as he's been bungled, is somewhat on the main roster since his feud with John Cena, um, you know, he's a success story of theirs. Sasha Banks, obviously, you know, she was out on the indie scene before she went to, to WWE, but you can call her a creation. Uh, and, and she's been very successful there. Charlotte Flair, obviously great pedigree, but the same way. But as a whole, you look up and down their roster, at their main stars, and they did all pretty much come from somewhere else and are developed somewhere else. On the NXT roster, it was all guys from ROH. Uh, with Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish and, and, and guys like that. And even on the main roster, the ROH influence, you know, over the years, Samoa Joe and AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan and, you know, guys like that. Yeah, WWE has the Miz, but, you know, to be a great pro wrestler and, and to be a, <laughs> a good sports entertainer, to me at least, you still need to have a good pro wrestling background. And most of the guys that have come from somewhere else applied their trade elsewhere for quite some time before going to WWE. So they know how to react to, to, to different people. They know how to work with other people that they've been working with for a long period of time. They know how to work in front of different crowds. They've had the ability to gain confidence out on the indie scene, being able to speak and being able to talk and screw up doing promos and doing moves and doing lots of other things. So by the time they get to WWE and they get to NXT, they're already kind of polished and established, whereas somebody who just walks into the WWE system and has got to be trained from scratch or is being trained from almost scratch and working their way up for all of the talent that's there for all of the help that they can be given by great trainers like Ricky Steamboat or William Regal or Robbie Brookside or Matt Bloom or Norman Smiley or whoever it's going to be, you know, at that moment who's helping them, they are still being molded in what WWE and Paul Levesque and Vince McMahon see as their creations. And that takes a toll on some guys, and they've caused great damage to a lot of wrestlers. Everyone that teamed with Dolph Ziggler, Nick Nemeth, uh, in Ohio Valley and up on WWE's main roster, all were chased from the business pretty much because of the damage they suffered being trained and being brought up under WWE's system. So it is a, it can be a very frustrating thing because they, they don't have a lot of success stories on their own, but it's also pretty much because pro wrestling was always a nomadic thing where you had to learn for a long period of time it, it, and, and apply your trade. And, and like anything else, Learn what you're doing before you're out there on the main 
stage. Nobody jumps usually from Little League or nobody jumps from Little League to the NFL, you know, and almost nobody jumps from, <laughs> you know, without college to the NFL. How many guys over the years have ever been touted as being able to do that? Maybe Herschel Walker and Bo Jackson. That's pretty much been about it. Like everybody else, I mean, no matter how good you are, you still have to actually, you know, get past another level to make it to the to, to the pinnacle. And those guys on the indie scene, your Kevin Owens, your El Generico's, guys like that, Cesaro, they've had a chance to do that for a long time. All right, so I feel like that we, wasn't the most long-winded answer to that you could ever imagine. No, <laughs> that is um, that is exactly the information we need. Uh, I think we kind of covered the positives and the negatives of the training aspect. Just to close up, um, if a college wrestler were to ask you for some tips about going into this endeavor, what would be the advice you would give them? Well, I, I guess just how much of a wrestling fan are you? Are you a WWE fan? Has that always been your fantasy? Is that what you like? You know, or are you a wrestling fan? And I, as stupid as that's probably going to sound to to people that are listening to this who or who aren't pro wrestling fans or, or aren't WWE fans who who think they're interchangeable, they're they're really not because there's great opportunity on the independent scene right now uh, amongst promoters and owners of these indie companies that have more money and time at their disposal than ever. There is Japan and in Europe where the technical style, the older style of pro wrestling is still more appreciated for all the sports entertainment that's everywhere all over the world. In most places outside WWE, the pro wrestling aspect of it still matters. So if you like that sort of thing and you like the physical combat in chess that is amateur wrestling and you want to kind of apply that on a different level, there's lots of opportunities out there that aren't in WWE. And you may want to explore doing that first before you decide, well, I'm going to call up or use the connection I have to get into the performance center because it seems like a lot of guys burn out a lot quicker and blow out, you know, or may go in a lot brighter, but blow out a lot quicker there than they would out there kind of learning one step at a time and taking baby steps to get there. I mean, one of the reasons WWE loves wrestlers and loves football players is because of the discipline. It's because they're in shape. In most cases, it's because they know what it takes to succeed and they know what it takes to, to have a lot of discipline and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And everybody's got that. But can you talk? Are you comfortable with who you are as a personality? You know, it's one thing to be naked out there with just your, your boots and your, your singlet in front of a bunch of people. I mean, that's obviously important, and that's a, a something that somebody who's not an athlete, you know, who is a comic book fan and a gymnast who gets involved in, in pro wrestling, I mean, that's something that, that's a curve that they're going to have to get over that you may not have to. But also when you're standing out there, <laughs> you know, in a WWE ring or in a pro wrestling ring, you have a, a different kind of fan base there that is demanding to be entertained, not only by the work you're about to put in, but by your facial expressions, your arm movements, your motions, you know, the, how you react to things. And that's sometimes difficult for an amateur wrestler or for any athlete because it's all sport when you're doing it. You're not worried about the reaction of others. The reaction of others is done off of whatever physical thing that you do. Well, wrestling, obviously in pro wrestling, a lot of it depends on how you express yourself. So if you 
aren't confident in, in yourself, or even if you are, go do improv. Go see about taking an acting class. Go see about community theater and dumb things like that that on the surface look goofy and, and would be something that, ah, I don't want to do that. But it also, it helps to open up, you know, open yourself up because once you go to that performance center, there will be some trainers. And once you go to a lot of wrestling schools, there are going to be trainers that are going to try to take you out of your comfort zone anyway, because there are going to be people on a nightly basis who are going to perform in front of who are going to do just that. And you're going to screw up. And what do you then do in front of all those people that are sitting there wondering what you're going to do? So the more you can get experience kind of, learning who you are and being more comfortable out there in front of people, the, the better off you're going to be. And, you know, I, I think that's, that's just as important as, as almost anything else physical that you can do. You know, I'm a big proponent of the old wrestling system, you know, the, the, the territorial system of giving yourself the opportunity to learn and to work your way up like a Jeff Cobb. I mean, there's a great example of a guy who's doing that right now in the indie scene. And it's not hurting him a bit. And if he wanted to go to WWE tomorrow, they would absolutely sign him. So, uh, you know, to me, the, the slower, the better. Go learn and apply your trade and go get more comfortable with who you are. Well, there you have it, Mike Sempervivi. You can follow him on Twitter, at Sempervivi. You can listen to him on Wrestling Observer Live on the radio, as well as at F4WOnline.com. Mike, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. Really covered a lot of ground that I don't think a lot of our listeners may be familiar with, and I think now they are. Hey, Richard, really, really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.